the implications of October 7, 2023 are still being felt around the world. And with me here today to understand further those revelations coming out of that horrific day is a friend and author, Barbara Kay. A clear path forward requires looking back and learning. Good public policy requires human connection. It's a consideration of the facts, applying common sense and innovation. It's urban, it's rural, it's real life. We all have something to contribute. We all have a responsibility to get informed because there's a little piece of Canada in all of us, isn't there? Let's learn on this path together. This is Leaders on the Frontier. Barbara uh, writes extensively. She's an author and uh, you can find her in the Epoch Times as well as the National Post and so many other publications. So a warm welcome to you, Barbara, for joining us today. Thanks, David. It's really a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. And I know this is a, a, a difficult topic uh, when we reflect on the hor horrible violence that's being felt now by both the people of Israeli, Palestinians, uh, and uh, so many others um, in the Middle East. But uh, I really do appreciate you coming on to uh, help us better understand not only October 7, but what I would refer to as revelations, kind of a domino effect coming out of October 7 that really help um, shed a light on, on very important issues that we as Canadians face and the world faces. So I, I want to begin with a, a fairly basic question, and that is, help us understand what Hamas is. Well, <clears throat> Hamas is designated as a terrorist group in Canada and the United States and many other Western nations. Uh, the, Hamas uh, is a group that uh, was uh, born of the Muslim Brotherhood. It's an Islamist. Uh, it's an Islamist group that is part of a general Islamist revival that uh, is springing up in various places around the world. They are all loosely tied together in terms of their triumphalist supremacist message. Uh, so you have Al-Qaeda, you had Islamic State, you have the, uh, the Houthis, uh, that, the Houthis group, sorry, I forget their, their uh, Arab name, um, and the Taliban. So they all have Hezbollah, of course. They all have somewhat different focuses. Some are, are uh, more violent than others. Some are more, but they all have in common that they are a theocratic um, and Islamist supremacist group. So mm -hmm. uh, Hamas was formed in the 1980s by the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, and uh, it has since then, uh, it was a fledgling group. And since then it, it, it became powerful um, and it established itself in Gaza as a resistance mm -hmm. movement. It began actually as a, as a kind of, just as Hezbollah, has a sort of um, humanitarian arm, um, a social service arm, but it's essentially it's a guerrilla group with uh, with supremacist uh, leanings and virulently virulently anti-Semitic. Uh, mm -hmm. All yeah. all of the Islamist groups are anti-Semitic to one degree or another. Hamas is, I would say, rabidly so, uh, and that yeah, is really yeah. For me, I, I find it hard to kind of wrap my head around this, but there's certainly a long history. And if I think of conversations I've had with uh, 
you know, eminent experts such as Dr. Philip Saltzman, uh, a cultural anthropologist, he, he'd certainly underline a number of points that you made, is that this is in many ways a religious war, that they, Hamas sees its mission to um, uh, undertake genocide against the Jews, to, to drive them um, into the sea, so to speak. So that that would be in keeping with your understanding as well. Is that right, Barbara? Oh, I mean, they've made no secret of their their ambitions. Their 1988 charter, uh, mm -hmm. the very second paragraph is, Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as oh. it obliterated others before it. So when they say Israel, they mean Jews. Uh, they do not want a Jewish state in their presence because they do not believe that uh, Islam uh, permits Jews to live amongst Muslims unless they are, of course, in a position of dimitude or as they used to be hundreds of years ago. Uh, but they they will not live in equality with Jews uh, in any political sense. That's anathema to them. So their 1988 charter, you know, it's very straightforward. And it is, uh, it is a manifesto that, mm -hmm. that says we will eradicate the Jews. But it's sort of interesting uh, when they made common cause with the left, the left, you know, a lot of leftists weren't too comfortable with the anti-Semitic language. So interestingly, in 2017, they changed their charter. It's, it reads completely differently. In 2017, oh. they took away all the, uh, you know, we're going to kill all the Jews. And it became a um, Zionism is evil. Um, not, you know, before it was the Jews are evil. Now it's Zionism is evil. It's a racist uh, undertaking. Mm -hmm. It's a colonialist undertaking. We will, they started using all the buzzwords that appeal to the left. Oh, and interesting. So, I wasn't aware of that uh, change in 2017. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so in so, that context, yeah. I, I think, Barbara, one of the, the things I, I find hard to understand is how Hamas has systematically, as a military strategy, as a tactic, used their own civilians, their own civilians as a shield to any kind of uh, military attack um, against them as an organization. So they do this in particular ways. And one of them is that um, I think it was a surprise to people that they were locating um, military operations beneath hospitals, of all things. Is that actually true? Oh, yes, it's completely true. And you, if you follow on a daily basis the, the IDF reports, there are channels, there are numerous uh, people, uh, IDF people that are guiding you through the events of the day. They show you, they have oh, footage. The, the, Israeli, the Israeli army, the IDF? Yes, and, and observers of, also there's, there's a... Uh, Israeli TV stations, but they're using footage that shows you, here we are, we're outside this hospital. Now we're going to take you inside the hospital. As you see over here, we have discovered a tunnel underneath. Here are, here's what we discovered in the tunnel and they show you all the armaments and they show, wow. but it's not just in the, it's not just in the hospitals. It's in schools. It's in mosques. It's in private residences. They have gone into private residences and they have, um, uh, Inside a child's room, they have stuffed armaments and all kinds of stuff. I mean, these the families are very aware of, of uh, this is how they live, and this is they do not consider this abnormal at all. Um, mm -hmm. You talk about 
human shields, the use of people to to cover for the activities uh, and to prevent or to try to get people that have different values like we mm -hmm. have, we value human life. They have said, we don't value life, we value death. Uh, death in the name of Islam uh, is martyrdom. Uh, we, you know, you go directly to paradise. This, this is what people in this culture are raised in. They're raised to believe that to die as a martyr, as a human shield, as that this is for the further glorification of Islam and 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 its ends. Wow. We're, we're dealing with a culture that is so radically different from uh, in its values and principles that it's very difficult for people to actually give credence to the words of the leaders themselves who say very outright um every every baby that dies is good for us every child that dies i mean they 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 are very out there uh in terms of presenting these tactics and and since we can't believe that people could be so mm -hmm. monstrous we say, oh, no, no, that's just rhetoric. They don't really yeah. mean that. They love their children as much as we do. And, um, when, you know, they're grieving just as much. Uh, they, they may be grieving when the children actually die. But mm -hmm. in their own words, they will say, um, when they groom these children to be suicide bombers, mm -hmm. you may have seen footage from groups like Memory or, or the Palestinian uh, uh, Media Watch, uh, they show you children in five years old. What uh -huh. do you want to be when you grow up? Uh -huh. I want to kill Jews and I want to die for Allah. I want to die for, for Islam wow. killing, but I want to kill Jews doing it there. They are indoctrinated from earliest childhood um, into this cult. I, I tell you, Barbara, it's it's really bizarre, but the clip that we just showed. Uh, courtesy of the Israeli um, Foreign Affairs. The, the paradox is that the clips of those horrific murders were really, by and large, taken, taken mm -hmm. by Hamas um, soldiers or terrorists mm -hmm. who were taking them and documenting them and then in turn posting them on social media because they wanted to show their delight in the violence and the murdering that they were that they were undertaking. I mean, this is yeah, the, they, they have the no, they have no guilt and no, they have no, this is not something that they consider shameful. They yeah. consider this, uh, something to be proud of. We, we saw, uh, one clip, I'm sure you've seen it of a man calling his parents, uh, on, on, um, uh, WhatsApp 
you know, yes. or calling them yeah. and say, go to my WhatsApp, go to my WhatsApp. You'll wow. see I killed 10 Jews. Mother, I killed, you know, 10 Jews. Put father on the line. Put fa So, yeah. he, he, you know, and, and the, the, the parents were, were like, oh, yes, that's fine. That's fine. But come, it's time to come home now. It's time to come home. Yeah. By the way, the, these were not just Hamas fighters that went into Israel. They were accompanied by many, I think maybe a couple of hundred of civilians who came for like as if it was like a joyride and they participated they participated uh it's it's uh it 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 runs like a streak of um uh, a kind of passion that runs through the entire culture very difficult for us to appreciate we just we can't even fathom it our imaginations find it very difficult to grasp yeah so i think many canadians would assume that there's a vision of coexistence, of living, you know, peacefully, that there may be um, vehement arguments and debates and, and conflict, if you will, between, say, the state of Israel and the Palestinian Authority. But there would still be a vision of coexisting, of peace. But that assumption is not correct. That's not what the assumption is on, on, on Hamas's part. The to be clear, no, there is a, it's a ridiculous assumption. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. an absurd uh, assumption to make, and it's never going to happen with Hamas. That is, that is a hundred percent. With the Palestinian Authority, you know, there was a possibility. It's a very corrupt and very weak. And if you look at the polls, the polls are far more supportive of Hamas than they are of the Palestinian Authority of Fatah. Um, so there's no question that Fatah has not got the um, trust of the people. They are not capable of going in to go govern Gaza. Uh, how Gaza is going to be governed when this is over, I honestly think it's a little premature to even be talking about it. And I think also something that I, I should add, when I talk about Hamas and this culture, I'm not talking about all Islamic cultures. Mm -hmm. uh, there are stable states in the region. Uh, I mean, Saudi Arabia is not a democracy. Uh, it is a theocracy. However, uh, the political leaders understand that stability is far more important than allowing gangs like, you know, Hamas and uh -huh. the Houthi rebels. Uh, Saudi Arabia has spent a lot of time, effort, and, and firepower trying to subdue the Houthi rebels, uh, who they consider an enemy. Um, so, so just the fact that, you know, states are as Islamic doesn't mean they can't get along with Israel if they have the maturity mm -hmm. and if they, if they can get past this idea that, uh, there is something, um, that, that, that living side by side with a Jewish state is something too horrible to contemplate. Mm -hmm. I mean, for certain groups, it just really is too horrible to contemplate. But look, we've got uh, United Arab Emirates and you've got Saudi Arabia. These, uh -huh. these countries are ready to acknowledge the political reality and to say, okay, look, uh -huh. it, this has gone on long enough. Well, and, and look at indeed the, the long relationships now between Israel and Egypt. Um, yes, it's been a cold peace, but it's been a peace. Uh, and Jordan, uh, you know, also uh, not not a warm peace, but but uh, peace nonetheless, and cooperation, great deal of cooperation. Mm -hmm. It can happen, but but the Palestinians are a special um, case. Uh, 
they just uh, have not been able to get past or absorb the idea that it is conceivable that the Jews have a right uh, to their own state, mm-hmm. um, that it is a sovereign state, it is a legitimate state, uh, and they can't get past the, the idea that no, uh, it is not fit. It's not fitting for any Muslims to have to live beside a Jewish state. It's just, it's not, not going to happen. And, and yeah. if you don't, if you don't give up on that, on that negative dream, it isn't going to happen. So I, mm. I think, I think we can't predict what's going to happen after this is over. So it, it seems like a long time ago now, um, October 7 occurred and, and it was a very, very dark day. And then immediately, of course, um, Israel um, pledged itself to um, going after Hamas uh, to uh, basically um, uh, take them out. Um, you had now you've had well over a hundred days of of military action. You've had different pauses, if you will, as they've tried to negotiate the release of different hostages. I think there's still a number, uh, a couple dozen left. Uh, in fact, there's a kind of a gruesome thing now where Hamas is is uh, playing a kind of a almost like a, a a game where they show the pictures of these hostages and and show those that have been killed and those that are in question. I mean, it, it's really quite morbid. But we saw a whole cascade of revelations come out of October seven. One of which was demonstrations around the world in different countries, including Canada, and we saw demonstrations in favor of um, Israelis, uh, you know, Israelis, uh, Israel's response. But we also saw demonstrations that were um, in favor of Palestine and even edges of demonstrations that were seen to be in favor of Hamas. So what what struck you about those demonstrations in in, uh, Canada uh, after October 7, Barbara? Two things struck me. One was the rapidity uh, with which these protests sprang up. I mean, before Israel had even started to retaliate, Mm -hmm. everybody knew that they would, but the bodies were still warm, you know, from the massacre. Mm -hmm. And already you had people organizing and they were, uh, it was like a call to arms across the world. And suddenly we saw these highly organized demonstrations uh, that were just suddenly everywhere. And I think you're charitable when you say that they were uh, pro-Palestinian. To me, they were pro-Hamas. When you, Pro-Hamas, okay. I would say so because when the, the words from the river to the sea mm-hmm. are part mm-hmm. of the Hamas charter. That's, that's in their original charter. Mm-hmm. And... The words mean eradication of Israel. Exactly. Um, yeah. So if you're holding a, a sign that says from the river to the sea, you know, or you ought to know, I know there's a lot of ignorant people that just think, mm-hmm. oh, no, we're just, you know, we're, we're protesting uh, for a ceasefire. But the people that organize these protests are not. The, the people that organize them, Sammy Dune and all these Palestinian, the, all this whole network of Palestinian organiza- pro-Palestinian organizations that are 
um, kind of run at the top by and funded by Qatar and, you know, mm -hmm. Muslim Brotherhood is organizing. This is an incredibly, nobody understands how globally organized uh, the Islamist revival is. Okay. Um, it's but under that in itself, Barbara, that surely that's a revelation that you're right, that the, the timeliness of these demonstrations was immediate. And it was Media highly organized. Organized, organized all the signs, for example. All of a sudden, there were all these professional signs available. Uh, mm -hmm. These are not spontaneous. Um, Gee, this doesn't seem right to me. Let's go out and protest. Mm -hmm. uh, I just saw. I just saw a clip on Twitter. Sorry, X. <laughs> I just saw a clip of um, a young man holding. It was in London, uh, holding a sign. Uh, something asking for a second intifada, a new, a socialist intifada. So and then somebody comes along and interviews him and says, well, what does that actually mean, a socialist intifada? And the young man says, well, if I'm being honest, he said, I just went over there to the, you know, where they're organizing and somebody handed me this sign. I don't even know what the word intifada means. So I think there's quite a lot of that. Uh, and what around. is that intifada, to be clear? Intifada means uprising. It means violent uprising. So it's it's a kind of call to arms, a mm -hmm. revolutionary call to arms. Exactly. Um, but it definitely has the sense of uh, of of violence. And mm -hmm. uh, so when people call for that, some I think a lot of people really don't understand what they're calling for, and so they're actually calling for more violence. Uh, when they when they call for intifada, yeah. So so it's quite disturbing because, but but the the organizers are clearly advocating intifada, armed revolution, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and in many cases genocide against mm -hmm. Jews mm -hmm. and uh, and against Israel. So this is very disturbing. And in Canada, we had uh, many dis uh, demonstrations, large scale, um, and we even had. Uh, bizarre incidences between police and the serving of double doubles from Tim Hortons and donuts at, uh, the, you know, by Avenue Road there, a, a very prominent area of a, of a Jewish community where you had protesters blocking roadways illegally and uh, very much in the face of the Jewish community right there. And, it, and of course, we value protest in Canada, but there's places to protest it, like by Parliament Hill, for instance, or um by a legislature or by a city hall, but that's not what was happening. And then you had the police show up with coffee and donuts as almost like a bizarre public relations gesture. And I know that the, the Toronto police chief uh, did uh, give kind of a, an apology of sorts, but what crossed your mind when you, when you saw that Barbara? Well, I, 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 this is, this is a tactic. Uh, it was a PR kind of stunt. Uh, because they, it's a strategy. You know, police police forces around the world are struggling with what to do about protests that are not like the old style protests, uh, where people protested, but they responded to police directives. Mm -hmm. They're now dealing with protests by people have no fear of police, have no respect for police. Uh, do not care, uh, and they will they will get very aggressive. Uh, mm -hmm. So we've seen a lot of that in Europe, where they've called out. I mean, they've had you know 
people on police on horsebacks they're wearing full SWAT team armor and everything and they've actually in, in some cases been so surrounded by hostile people that they've actually retreated uh, and in some cases they've even barricaded themselves when they haven't felt that they have enough police to deal with it so they're around the world you have police well how what do, what do we do with these people uh, you know aggression maybe isn't the best so they're they're now trying techniques like establishing a kind of we're, we're all in this together kind of thing hmm. and we're 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 you know don't think of us as as uh as your enemy we're actually hmm. you know we we we, we want to get along with you and we'll resolve this together kind of thing and that's it's a strat it's a strategy look i i don't blame them for looking for ways to uh lower the temperature on on the uh-huh. uh the heat the anger that's out there but that was just the wrong place to do it as you said they should these people if they were really if they were if their object was to protest what israel is doing in gaza then they should be in front of the israeli consulate mm-hmm. they should not right. be in a jewish neighborhood harassing and intimidating jews mm-hmm. that just shows you that all these protests about no 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 it's not jews that we don't like it's zionism that we don't like that fig leaf has is completely off you know that's now being has been trampled into the muck nobody believes it anymore you'd have to be very naive to believe that this is about israel or zionism this is about jews they don't like jews okay so that's where in the great canadian tradition of healthy debate and spirited discussion and all the rest in that great democratic tradition we can have demonstrations that's a very important uh, mm-hmm. part and right uh, of what it means to be canadian but as soon as we start putting on masks as soon as we start uh, trampsing into people's neighborhoods uh then then we're getting into a different territory aren't we yes playing with fire look i think uh, a lot of the reason that these protests became emboldened is because people took a good look into 2020 at the mm-hmm. uh, blm protests with antifa and right. you know uh, the tremendous amount of intimidation uh vandalizing of stores uh the police didn't really do much about it um burning buildings in this country we've seen 85 churches burned mm-hmm. and 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 vandalized yeah so and no charges no charges yeah. okay so what what does that say to somebody who has their own issue mm-hmm. well i don't care about the indigenous people but hey i do care about the palestinians yeah. and if they can get away with burning 85 churches maybe i can get away with breaking the windows of a jewish delicatessen yeah. or you know i can right. uh uh, we can we can uh, walk down the sidewalk and scream at people uh, and say whatever we want because yeah. nothing's going to happen. And in fact, well, and, and to be clear, Barbara, in Montreal, we did have attacks on synagogues and we've had yes. attacks on people's uh, homes as as Jews. Mm-hmm. So this is yeah. this is very disturbing. This is a mm-hmm. profound revelation. I think this is. Uh, I'm very sorry to say, and I I would love to be proven wrong. To me, this this was like um, a volcano that was like the lava was kind of simmering mm. under the surface, and this Hamas thing uh, was taken as a sign around the world by militant Islamists 
it's happening. This is, it's the great wake up call. And it's almost like sleeper cells all over the world. This mm -hmm. is our time. Wow. Uh, the, ca the caliphate is coming, whatever. Uh, and I think that this tremendous energy has been unleashed. I, in a recent column, I said, it's like a genie got out of the bottle. You can't, that bottle top was never, you know, the, the, the cork was not very tightly plugged anyways. Um, and now that genie's not going back in the bottle. And, and I think we're going to see, uh, you know, we've seen, as you say, incidents, um, bullet holes in a, uh -huh. a Jewish school door or a synagogue door, uh, churches burned, but not people burned, but that could change. That yes. could change. Indeed. Uh, so I do feel we're sitting on a, we're sitting on a, a powder keg here and, and, and around the world as well. We don't know where this is going. Now, I know that we could talk about this area of immigration policy for, for quite a while, uh, because I know that there's um, a lot of implications uh, around immigration in so many Western countries. And, and Canada um, is very much in the forefront of this, as we accept well over a million immigrants into Canada now. It's, it's a record that has never been seen before. Um, so this massive movement of people into Canada has many implications, um, not only as people seek to find housing, uh, they're issued medical cards, uh, as we already have um, multi-year waiting lists uh, for many Canadians to get medical health care. Um, it certainly changes the wages of many working Canadians as, as more and more people are looking for jobs uh, with that million people entering the country. But it also relates to the, the theme in the context of our conversation around culture. Culture matters to a family, to a community, and to a country. And, and when, when it comes to culture, are we, do you think, being naive then that we can just let anybody into our country mm -hmm. and not undermine our culture and our sense of shared um, democratic values and respect for what it means to be a Canadian, Barbara? No, I, 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 you're not. I mean, I think the people doing this are either terminally naive. I think Justin Trudeau, part of his problem is extreme naivete, uh, coupled with uh, a very uh, passionate dedication to uh, leftist dogmas that he yeah. were downloaded into him when he was very young and which he has never stepped away from. He believes in them. Uh, you know, his father was quite left in, in, in certain ways. Uh, you know, Cuba, he was a big uh, fan of Cuba and China. And I think he's imbued with this idea um, ideas from the left that are troubling. Uh, and I think he also has a kind of romantic vision of Islam uh, that is is kind of a an interesting flaw in many Westerners who think their own religion is, you know, outdated and boring mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, of no value at all. But there's something very magical about these you know, these desert people with their flowing robes and their, you know, mm -hmm. interesting headgear and their, their apparent wisdom. And I mean, uh, they know something that we don't. So when you couple that with, with a leftist kind of 
fascination with revolution. Mm -hmm. um, and you deliberately want not to see the dark side of Islamism. Uh, and you really do want to believe that Islam is not only a religion of peace, but a religion of, you know, uh, that they have something very special to bring to the table uh, and all of that. And there's plenty of them and, uh, you know, they vote liberal. So mm -hmm. uh, I think that, that he has deliberately overlooked the, the cultural elements because he doesn't, he thinks that people can, he thinks that 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 he believes in social engineering. So he thinks that it doesn't matter what what people believe in their home countries. Mm -hmm. The minute they cross, the minute they come into Canada, they they have uh, they are diverse, um, and you you just not allowed to say that any culture that our culture is better than any other culture. That's mm -hmm. part of the multicultural uh, uh, sort of contract. And uh, it's been a disaster. Mm -hmm. It's going to be well, more of a certainly we've, we've heard comments from Immigration Minister Mark Miller now that uh, there's the possibility of welcoming uh, thousands of, of Palestinians uh, into Canada. And I would say, well, on what basis can you possibly even screen and understand who you're dealing with and inviting into the country, ironically? So I think that just about sums up the... Um, the, the train wreck that is Canada's immigration policy now, both in terms of its impact economically on Canadians, undermining people's wages as people seek housing, as they seek uh, medical cards and, and services. But it really begs the issue whether we really have a handle on our vision of shared values as Canadians. And it, it begs in my mind whether there should be a moratorium now on immigration. I mean, this is really hitting our country hard yes for all well for the economic reasons you've cited alone there should be a moratorium uh, i don't think any good case has been made that there's value added in just keeping the mm -hmm. annual numbers so high i don't i don't see uh that that we have such a dearth of uh you know uh it, it's not like there's a sign in every window you know people need it, please come in, I'll pay you anything. I mean, it, I, I think uh, no argument on the economic can be disputed. I mean, this is, it's not good. But on the on the cultural level, um, I, I think that, that it's unbelievable that Trudeau was very quick to say, oh, we'll take, we'll take Gazan refugees, you know, mm -hmm. because that's who we are as a people. Um, and without even asking himself or his minister or anybody of his advisors, isn't it odd that there's no Arab countries that will take them? They're mm -hmm. ethnic brothers. Uh, most Gazans, many Gazans are ethnically Egyptian. There's no difference. It, Egypt doesn't want them. Egypt mm -hmm. kind of was responsible for creating them. Uh, because you know they create they sponsored the fedayeen in the 1950s and it was out of the fedayeen who raided who were raiders you know they would go in and ra make raids in israel and everything they were the the precursors to hamas and they eventually saw that they'd create help to create a monster uh they want no part of them they don't even want them in the sinai desert they won't even put in refugee camps wow. in the sinai desert they they want nothing to do with them mm -hmm. every country that took them in 
after 1948, Jordan, Lebanon, Iraq, uh, um, Tunisia, all of them found that they were uh, a thorn in the side of their countries. All of them wanted to get rid of them. And now Canada is going to be, but when they come to Canada, they're just going to be perfect, perfect Canadians because that's what happens. So it it truly is naive at best. Um, Another revelation, I think, uh, that came out of October 7, Barbara, was um, universities right across the Western world, including in Canada and, of course, the United States. Um, There are many cases, I think, in Canada where we had, again, uh, uh, student groups, demonstrations, faculty uh, weighing in vehemently in support of... um, of Hamas. In fact, we even had a, a particular case um, at a, um, uh, a sexual uh, assault center, I believe it was in uh, at the University of Edmund, uh, Alberta, pardon me, um, where the director um, issued statements in support of, of Hamas, I understand. And uh, that person was later let go. But, you know, I, I, I would say if you were a Jewish student at the University of Alberta, you must have been horrified, mm-hmm. horrified. Uh, to come across people, and this is certainly right across Canada, you had various universities weigh in, um, and 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 really, uh, I think we're quite reckless when it came to this need to take positions in favor of Hamas. Um, it, it, it's spellbinding. What did you observe? I observed what you observed, that there was uh, a tremendous uh, tone of glee at what Hamas had accomplished and, mm-hmm. and, and, and a lot of academics who just couldn't contain, they had to put it out on X and they had to be out there mm-hmm. um, saying that this was an act of resistance whose time had come and uh, by any means necessary and who absolutely, of course, the, 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 the feminists did what not want to know about all the horrible rapes, the gang rapes. Yeah. And the, no, they didn't want to know because, uh, <laughs> they, I mean, it was Hamas. So, and it was resistance. And so they, they it was, that was extremely cruel. That was a, a quite a blow to women who, uh, you know, there were academics out there saying, well, we don't know for sure. Um, you know, like they, they wanted to wait and see, it's very interesting. The whole Me Too movement was based in believe her, believe her, except, yes. of course, if it's the victims of Hamas. So uh, wow. I, the hypocrisy, uh, the kind of willingness to draw no lines whatsoever in terms of atrocities and to keep claiming that it's resistance mm-hmm. and to keep saying, well, you have to understand the context. Yeah. What, 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 what particularly... Um, uh, disgusts me is the double standards because anytime somebody uh, makes a statement about uh, Muslims being, you know, uh, well, I'm afraid of Muslims because they're, you know, look at all the terrorism in the world. Mm. And it's most of it is Islamic and virtually all of it is Islamist. Mm-hmm. Then you'll be called a terrible Islam. Nobody will say, well, yes, I understand in the context while you wh- how you could feel that way. They just say you're an Islamophobe. You know, you mm-hmm. you're a terrible person. You're a horrible person, and you'll have Justin Trudeau 
agreeing and saying, oh, that's not who we are as Canadians. So, mm -hmm. you know, you, you cannot apply, um, you cannot uh, uh, apply to an individual Muslim. Um, uh, you can't discuss Muslims in general in the context of Islamism that's going on all over the world, but any Jew is a fair target because of Zionism. And many, they don't ask whether you're a Zionist or not. Not all Jews are Zionists. Um, in fact, uh, an unfortunate number of Jews are quite willing to throw Israel under the bus if they feel that will maintain their status in within mm. their leftist circles. Uh, so long answer to <laughs> question. Yeah. But, but, but Barbara, in many ways, it wasn't entirely a surprise for those of us who have certainly uh, been involved or observed universities for years. It wasn't really entirely a surprise to see this kind of reaction as being very anti-Israel. Um, and I'm not, I don't mean that in a simplistic way, but because they see commonly the lens of these issues they use is one of, of cultural Marxism, where everything is seen through the oppressor versus oppressed view. And Israel, they would say, is always the oppressor, yeah. even when there are terrorists who come in like Hamas and, and literally butcher and murder 1,400 people uh, and, and uh, take hostage of some 240 people. And, and it goes on and on. You said Marxist, and it reminded me instantly of uh, Lenin's famous um, short but quite clear uh, precept, who, whom, who is doing what to whom. In other words, if an oppressed, oppressed group is doing terrible things to those who have been deemed oppressors, mm -hmm. then it's called resistance and it's fine. There's no yeah. boundaries to the exactly. violence that can be enacted. If an oppressor group, you know, uh, is rude to somebody at a checkpoint, then that is apartheid and 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 violence. Uh, mm -hmm. So you know, it's it's it, the the double standards are applied according to identity groups and according to uh, intersectionalism, intersectionality mm -hmm. uh, in the Marxist scheme of things, Jews cannot be oppressed ever uh, because they are, they think of Jews as white, even though half the Jews in Israel are brown uh, because they are Middle Eastern Jews from Arabic countries or Jews that were always there that never left. And they are they indistinguishable from Arabs. Um, but they, we are all white because white is our silo. Like that's, mm -hmm. you know, Jews are white. Uh, and we're colonialists because we came from Europe, but we didn't come representing countries. We came fleeing the countries, you know, that, that, so they're wrong when they say Israel is colonialist. They're wrong when they say, or the Jews are colonialists. They're wrong when they say Israel's an apartheid state. They're wrong when they say, um, uh, that Zionism is racism because it's the only country in the Middle East where people from different races and, and religions get along. Terrific. Um, they're wrong on everything, but it doesn't matter because they've decided. Like Exactly. They've decided that the narrative is that Israel yeah. is the oppressor and everything is seen through that simplistic, exactly. hate-filled lens. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I did want to share with um, our audience, of course, is 
is the uh, now famous clip, if you will, of a congressional uh, committee under uh, Congresswoman um, Elise Stefanik um, asking very pointed questions to um, the presidents of, of three universities, MIT, University of Pennsylvania, and of course, Harvard. And uh, I wanted to share this clip with us. Uh, Madam Chair, I'd like to yield the balance of my time to the gentlewoman from New York. Dr. Kornbluth, does M at MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment, yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does have, not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated of, as harassment if pervasive and severe. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment, yes. I, I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your if testimony it, that it, you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if the, yes speech or becomes, no. if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment, yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm gonna give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual, targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it and crosses is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct, and we do take action. So the answer is yes that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. So in my mind, that clip 
powerfully illustrates the kind of lens that we were just talking about, Barbara, where the the presidents could not, even if their lives depended on it, um, they could not condemn the kind of blatant anti-Semitism and calls for genocide on their own campuses. They could not call it out and say, no, this is against our code of conduct at the university. So were you surprised by their stunning display of uh, stupidity? I'm not sure if I would call it stupidity. Um, they obviously all lawyered up and had the same lawyer who who told them to just keep saying the same Indeed. nonsense. Yes. I I was I was disgusted that not one of them would simply consult their own conscience, and that not one of them would say, "Of course, this should not be happening on our campus." I am deeply uh, ashamed of the conduct. Of, like they just couldn't say it because that would be an admission. That would be an admission um, that there are two, uh, there's a double standard on on campus. They had to maintain the myth um, that uh, context is is so important. And uh, I mean, they they didn't know what really what to say. So it wasn't stupidity, but it was a scramble to circle the wagons um, mm-hmm. so that they 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 were very aware that they. Di- they didn't want to upset their faculty or their, um, you know, the people whose goodwill that they depend on. Because mm-hmm. if they if if they had said this was deeply shameful, for you know, they would have come back to their campuses and the and the campuses would have probably voted them out uh, yeah. and said you have to quit because you should have defended the right of these protesters to say mm-hmm. these things. So yeah. um, they were they were in a they were in a tough place, but that was if if ever there was a time for leadership and to step up to the plate, that was it. But by the way, they weren't the only ones. Uh, former President Obama said virtually the same thing in an exactly. interview. Yeah, he says we have to remember um, there's a history here, and uh, we're all complicit. He said we are all complicit. Um, it, he, I mean, he, he was hedging. He was also saying, well, look at the context. Well, yeah. uh, maybe it is genocide. Uh, you know, but how do you justify the, um, horrific murder of human life like that? It is just breathtaking. Well, I mean, I, I, you don't justify that kind of taking of human life. There are such things as just wars and collateral damage. There's all mm-hmm. kinds of justifications for uh, deaths that are unavoidable or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, what, what, the, what this pogrom of October 7th met every single criterion for the word genocidal. The fact that they only killed 1,400 people um, mm-hmm. or 1,200, whatever the final number was, uh, the intention was to keep on killing if they hadn't been stopped. And it was very unfortunate that the response by the military was so long in coming. That's, that's tragic in itself. Um, but, but their intention was genocidal. I would call it a proto-genocide because it was a mm-hmm. miniature genocide it was like uh like in in rwanda you know when the uh 
uh, when the Hutus just with the machetes, like in one day, if you're, if, if you have the will, uh, even, even in a very non-technological way, you can kill a lot of people if the passion is there and the will and you, you have, you, 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 you have in your head, the idea that the people you're killing are not real human beings, that they're Indeed. a form of, yeah, that's, I mean, that was in their head that, and that's their similarity with the Nazis, that they uh -huh. believe they were killing subhuman beings. The difference, of course, is that they boasted about it and the Nazis kind of kept their concentration camps like off off screen, you know. Exactly. Uh, Another revelation out of the revelation about universities uh, post-October 7, I think was the whole, um, I think this is for some donors and, and supporters of these universities, including in Canada. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they were naive or what was going on, but I think of the case of Bill Ackman. He's a well-known, uh, successful financier, a, a multi-billionaire who has been a very generous supporter of Harvard University and has organized a campaign. And, and I think by and large was successful in, in some measure in actually having the, the president of, of uh, Harvard resign then. Um, but has that, do you think that that has been quite a wake-up call to donors that give generously to universities that you better scratch the surface and understand how this radical ideology of diversity, equity, and inclusion has really now infected universities? And why would you support them with your hard-earned money? Why would you well, do I think that? Yes, I, I think Bill Ackman, yes, I think Bill Ackman is representative of a class of, of donors, these super wealthy donors uh, who got mugged by reality. Uh, and it really, because, I mean, he's Jewish, and, and I would say most of the donors that have been the quickest and the most, um, uh, how should I say, have, have been the most uh, intense and, and agitated by what happened, have also been Jewish. Uh, and they are, by the way, disproportionate. Jews are disproportionate donors to universities. Yeah. Um, and other and other cultural institutions, but he was an interesting case, as you say. Um, here is a guy who was obviously brilliant, who is obviously very tuned in, and he admitted himself in one of his long posts. I've read most of them. Uh, he admitted he conceded quite um, happily that look, I had no idea about all mm -hmm. this stuff. Uh, I did not know about that that equity meant, you know, or that diversity meant some some groups were oppressed. He didn't know the whole mm -hmm. Marxist underpinning. But that's because when you get to be in that league where you're giving five million, ten million, whatever to a university, mm -hmm. you don't see what's on campus. You don't see what they're teaching. What you see is you know, a friendly face ushering you into dinner at the okay. faculty club with the president and people sucking up to you and telling you how great you are and, oh, look what your money's going to, we're going to, we're going to put this beautiful new chemistry lab and we're going to, have, you know, you, your name's going to be on it all, you know, here, here's yeah. this beautiful plaque. So uh, it's very beguiling, very beguiling. And I know some big givers in Toronto, there, there's something very alluring about, you mm -hmm. know, and this hospital wing was donated due to the yeah. generosity of giant, giant, mm -hmm. giant letters. So, so they, 
they're not truly very interested uh, right. in what's going on at the grassroots level. They yeah. they are happy to see, oh, look, our researchers have accomplished this and we've done that and we've saved this many lives. And we, you know, so that's exciting. That's exciting. You're taking part in these phenomenal ch achievements and your name's on it. So they that's the problem is the donors are, mm -hmm. um, they're kept away from uh, well, the underside of- I, I agree with you. And I let's hope that, I mean, universities are not going to tell you as a donor that they vehemently hate what you stand for because there are not all, but generally hardcore socialists at universities. And many of them, too many of them, I know this sounds surprising, are largely Marxists. I mean, that's how they self-describe themselves in faculties. There's not an intellectual diversity. And they certainly right. do not advocate for open markets in that grand democratic tradition. They are totalitarians by and large. And this is well, why they're they Marxists, they're Marxists who, Yeah, but they're Marxists who get along very, very well nowadays with, with corporation heads and because yeah. the corporations are very, very happy to put in the DEI programs and to like, they're, they're sucking up to each other. So, uh, uh, they, they like to be thought of as good citizens, the, the mm -hmm. corporations, and they, they love the idea of social justice. Social justice sounds so good, doesn't it? Yeah. It um, sounds great. Wow. Oh yeah. So, uh, they're very happy to go along with all of the, uh, the rhetoric and the, diversity equity blah 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 the blm they they they're mm -hmm. they're happy to fund all that stuff um as long as cuz they're cowards they they yeah. they want to well, they just want to make money you know <laughs> okay. for post october 7 let us hope that our eyes are open that we understand where universities are at in this country and understand that they're not about intellectual diversity they're by and large so, uh, you know, socialist, hard leftists, uh, as they, they self-describe themselves. And I would challenge anyone who donates to a university now to open their eyes and say, why am I doing this? And am I doing more harm than good? Well, so, it'd be a lot easier from now on to get to donors and to say, look at this guy, Bill Ackman. It, you think he wasn't happy to be a donor? Well, listen to what he has to say. But I, I mean, I've been saying for 20 years, if only the donors would wake up Money talks. Universities understand. Yeah. You know they don't understand people on campus. Jewish students saying it's not fair. It's not fair. They understand when a, a huge donor like Bill Ackman says, "You you're not getting my money anymore." Right. That's what exactly. they. And they also understand two things. They understand. They understand money walking away, and they understand lawsuits exactly. in which they have to pay out huge damages. And right now, in Canada, there's uh, six lawsuits waiting to go forward to get certified that uh, uh, some of the biggest universities in Canada, it'll be class action suits uh, by Jewish students claiming they've been, you know, discriminated against, intimidated, harassed. If they have to pay, if they win and they get big payouts, you will see the culture on campus change. That's, that's well, the two things. And both have to do with money. Well, let's, let's uh, pray that you're right. Cause I, I, I will tell you, there's a, another layer of this, which we don't have, fully time for, but I will tell you one example. We have medical schools in this country now that through their admissions process are systematically mm -hmm. looking at your political opinions. Mm -hmm. 
and whether you support diversity, equity, inclusion, and whether they admit you to things like medical school. Now, is that a medical school or is that all about indoctrination? When you start, no, it is all about indoctrination. Sure, and it's 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 a disgrace uh, that uh, medical students who just want to heal people, they just want to go into yeah, the helping indeed. profession, yeah. are are made to compete. This this whole idea of compelled speech is a disgrace in any case. We've seen it in the legal profession right. uh, with the uh, uh, the Law Association of Ontario yeah. when they well, made well, it with all lawyers, Dr. Jordan Peterson. Okay, so he's a psychology professor, but the Law uh, Association of Ontario and every le every lawyer has to be a member of that of that association. They won't provide you with your membership card mm -hmm. unless you Indeed. sign a, a diversity equity. You have to sign. That's compelled speech. Yeah. Um, so you're committing yourself to. Uh, stuff that you don't believe in and exactly. you should not have to. And yes, medical schools. Uh, anyways, we could go on and on about all the, this is, this is a very important moment is during these times of crisis, you realize who's who in the zoo mm -hmm. and you realize that by golly, the universities, where do they really sit in terms of these basic questions around values and why would the donors, let alone taxpayers, be funding this stuff? And why would citizens, let alone uh, premiers of provinces or other leaders at the federal government, be supporting special professional bodies that are letting this rot of ideology into their professions and through their systems? So this is where I think this is perhaps a massive wake-up call to this country to say, who are we and do we stand for democratic values and individual rights and freedoms and the grand traditions of healthy debate and discussion? That's the question I have. Well, I, I pray that your intuition that we are at this tipping point uh, is correct. Uh, certainly, I think the, there, there is tremendous anger that has been aroused uh, and these, these class action suits are, are the result of it. Uh, a few wins there could could make a dramatic difference, Indeed. and um, I have to say that is one of the one of the few positive things that I've seen come out of this horror um, is that so many people that were sleepwalking uh, through all of this are now vividly aware, um, and in, I hope it's not too late in our country. I, I do fear that in certain European countries, it is too late. The, the die is cast, the, the, the populations are too, uh, you know, the, the, the difficult uh, populations or people with difficult uh, ideas, there's too many of them now. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't agree. know what the answer is going to be for them. Uh, but we, we're, it's not too late for us. And that's a positive thought to walk away with. We could turn this around, but I don't think it's going to happen during this the tenure of this prime minister. Uh, I think we're going to need a new leader to help make that happen. Because as long as the leader we have is here, he's oblivious to uh, to the to the divisiveness that he has already caused and that he is encouraging. I I don't see any of this really happening um, on a national scale, unless, okay. uh, unless that changes. 
Well, I, I think another related revelation uh, to this whole October 7 uh, uh, crisis, uh, Barbara, has been that foreign affairs matters. Um, oh, yeah. If we look at um, the introduction of the Biden administration, we know that this is quite a contrast to the previous administration under Donald Trump. But we know that U.S. foreign policy does matter. Mm -hmm. So when the Biden administration uh, made an about face to support Iran, both financially and to lift embargoes, Iran then had the ability, kind of the green light, to be able to support Hamas financially and otherwise to undertake this kind of terrorism action. Um, is that a fair assessment? It is fair. I don't. I, I will never understand uh, how Obama got the idea that Iran being the hegemon in the Middle mm -hmm. East was in any way going to be a good thing. Uh, but he wanted that that uh, joint uh, treaty, mm -hmm. and he pushed it through, knowing that they were after nuclear uh, weapons. That and and knowing that their hatred for Israel was paramount uh, in their, you know, their priorities. Um, and now we have Iran as the axis, the crux yeah. of all these, all these Islamist groups. They're all tied to, some of them are Shia and some of them are Sunni groups that used to never get along, but now they have, you know, this common vision of uh, mm -hmm. Israel free Middle East. And uh, by the way, even before Hamas is finished with, I, I do believe Israel is going to be in a full-fledged war with Hezbollah. Um, and that's why it's so necessary that they obliterate Hamas because Hezbollah is watching very carefully what they're doing to Hamas. If they backtrack, if they walk away, mm -hmm. if they walk it back and say, we, we can't do it or, or we'll have to listen to public opinion, Hezbollah is saying, great. Now, mm -hmm. now we know that they are the weak horse. As exactly. Is. So it's, we're not, we're not, we're just at the beginning, I think of something much bigger right. and everybody's going to be sucked in. And speaking of, uh, of, uh, foreign affairs, we also, um, observe, um, I was astounded by, I don't know what to call it. The, the double speak, the lack of basic straight talk on behalf of Canada, um, on the foreign affairs stage, I, it's not, it, it occurred to me that we're blowing and sucking at the same time. It was just breathtaking as we can't seem to articulate clearly our country's stance when it comes to um, these full cases before the international um, court, uh, you know, accusing Israel of genocide. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, we turn around and we accuse ourselves of genocide over the claim of mass graves, and there's still no evidence of that whatsoever. So yeah. I find this very bizarre. There's a quote here from John Manley that kind of summarizes it up brilliantly. John Manley, of course, was the former deputy prime minister. I believe he served in a number of capacities, including minister of foreign affairs. But Barbara, have you been impressed by Canada's weighing in on October 7? It's been terrible. He's he's right from, right from the beginning. Uh, Nothing is done in foreign affairs in this country without uh, Trudeau is not interested in foreign affairs. He knows very little about foreign affairs. He's not interested in educating himself. And uh, for him, foreign affairs is all about impressing his constituency in Canada. One of his biggest constituencies is the Muslim vote. Uh, 
uh, and he is conscious in every word that he says about this issue. He's the only national leader in the democracies, or the ones that count, uh, that has not visited, didn't visit Israel to offer uh, unqualified support, just sympathy, never mind support mm-hmm. for their aims, but just yeah. sympathy after the after the pogrom. Um, and he's been very careful with his words because he, every, for example, when he said, we don't accept the premise of this International Court of Justice claim of genocide. Um, uh, but when he said that, he got hell from, you know, the National Council of Canadian Muslims, and uh, mm-hmm. they're on his tail all the time. Half his cabinet is very angry that he even offered any support to Israel at all. He's 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 walking a tightrope that he created. Wow. And um, now he's 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 talking, he's saying, Oh, I don't support the premises, but we'll accept we will accept the conclusion. So if they mm-hmm. conclude it's genocide, so now now he's he's going along with that. This is somebody who, as you say, called Canada a genocidal nation, ongoing genocide, uh, because of uh some uh, missing and murdered um indigenous women who were mostly uh killed by people in their own communities and mm-hmm. and and again with the mass graves um the lowered flag the so he's he he has committed us to considering ourselves a genocidal nation on the basis of not a single death of one single child we 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 have not got the name of a single child who mm-hmm. has been alleged to literally have been killed by in the residential schools and and now he's ready to uh to to allow the international court of justice uh which is it's it's utterly bizarre so as we kind of um come to the the end of our our uh remarkable discussion barbara i did want to reflect with you a little bit i you are you are a jew um i know this October 7 and everything that's kind of flowed from that event, the revelations, if you will, have been very hard on the community. I know they've been um, difficult on many different people uh, in in a wartime situation. But how has this, from your point of view, impacted the Jewish community in Canada now? Oh, I would say it has been a very pivotal and existential uh, uh, event that we have still not really processed. I think uh, mm-hmm. many of us are so stunned um, by the amount of anti-Semitism that burst forth as a result of it. Uh, many of us, uh, I think people that were on the left, and, and a lot of Jews are, as you know, on the left, mm-hmm. have been had to, I have not had to reevaluate my political uh, ideas, uh, mm-hmm. but a lot of them have. They've now realized that this dream of... Um, you know, uh, I know people, I know Jews that were actually supportive of the BDS movement because they mistakenly believe. So what is the, the BDS movement? Oh, sorry, boycott, divest, and sanctions movement, which is basically um, a movement that wants to economically cripple Israel to the point of uh, of implosion. And uh, so it is, a, it, it's in its own way as exterminationist as Hamas, but they want to do it through uh, economic means. And um, a lot of Jews said, no, 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 this is just a way to criticize Israel, to make Israel be better, to be, you know, to be, uh, to act better and to help 
get bring about a Palestinian state. And I, other people like me said, no, 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 it isn't. It's pure anti-Semitism. And if you're mm. part of it, you're enabling it. And they, wow. no, no, really, we're just, you know, we're idealists. And anyways, those, those people, and there are tons of them, those Jews, they're tortured today. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to wow. do because it's all blown up in their face. Like they, they were naive, they were stupid. Uh, and now they're politically homeless, a lot of them. So uh, we're all reeling in our own way. We, we, we don't, we just, uh, we don't know what's going to come of this. We're scared. I personally, I mean, I'm functioning very well. I'm not, I, I, I don't walk around crying all day, but I, I do walk around with a sort of feeling of dread in my stomach all the time, all the time. Mm -hmm. Wow. I don't, I don't know what the end game is here. I don't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. wow. So uh, well, I'm, I'm yes, sorry I to hear that, Barbara. I, I, I know it's very difficult and, you know, during a time of war, we pray not only for peace, but we want to act for peace within our own country, across all peoples. And surely this is a time, if it is to be of any value, is a wake-up call regarding these revelations and also time for action. So what can we as Canadians do to really, dare I say, renew our country in terms of both our democratic values and healthy debate but what it means to be a citizen of this country? Well, that's such a big question, David. I I feel that uh, so many Canadians, are, and, and I hear from a lot of them, uh, are so frustrated at what has happened to Canada in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. And to watch the devalorization of what it means to be Canadian, to look at our armed forces, the shameful, yeah. the shameful, uh, dereliction of duty at the top uh, and preoccupation with this ridiculous uh, gender stuff when we are, you know, and we don't have any submarines and we don't have any. So we have no, we have a, we, we, we have not, what are we taking pride in? People want to be proud of their country. Okay. And I'm trying to think of one thing that in the last, five, six, seven years that I could say, as a Canadian, I am proud to say that what what has Canada done in the last, you know, since 2015, that you could truly say, Canada makes me proud because I can't, I can't think of anything. Mm -hmm. And I want to, and lots of other Canadians do too. And, uh, they deserve leadership that gives them good reason to say it. Well, I'm very uh, impressed by your way of thinking, Barbara, and your question. Uh, what are we proud of to be Canadians today? And let that be a question that will reinvigorate and renew our country as we think about the vision for our country. And I want to thank you then for joining our conversation today, Barbara. And, uh, as, and I want to thank you for your, your wisdom and your courage uh, for speaking up today. It's been a real pleasure to be with you, David. Thank you so much and for your sensitivity and your, uh, you're a great Canadian. <laughs> Thank you so much, Barbara. Thank you for watching Leaders on the Frontier. We're a nonpartisan think tank. We explore ideas, policy, and practical solutions that can make a difference in the lives of Canadians. We do not accept any government funding. We work for you. Thank you for supporting Frontier. 
Visit fcpp.org to give. While you're there, be sure to check out our latest articles and research. Without open discussion and debate, you're not thinking, nor are you free. Comment below. We'd love for you to join the conversation.